Hey guys, brand new podcast. Uh, really excited about this one. I first heard this guy on WTF. By the way, what do we got to mention, Bert? BertBertBert.com. Go to BertBertBert.com. We got a new shirt, whiskey, cock, glock, dog. We've got new merchandise. New cups are out. They're my favorite types of cup. 32 ounce, plastic, my favorite. The kind you get like when you go to a barbecue restaurant in the South, if you know what that means. And if you don't know what that means, then just get one. See it and you'll be like, oh, these are pretty fucking awesome. Fill them up with ice. You can get those little Kool-Aids, cut off the top, five calories, pour them in. Anyway, uh, that's at BurtBurtBurt.com. Posters. As soon as the road opens, guys, I will be on the road. I fucking promise you. Until then, we're banging out podcasts, doubling down. On Mondays, we got uh, Bill Burt and Two Bears, One Cave. And then we try to release probably three a week just to make sure you got enough content to fill your week. And so that your backlog. It's really nice when you go, God damn it, I got, I got fucking laying in bed and I can't go to sleep. Let's just flip through a category. Oh, I haven't heard any of these. These are all really good. So. That's our goal. Uh, excited to get back to the podcast live. These Zoom ones are good. I think you'll find that I'm a pretty good interviewer on Zoom because I listen more. That's true. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and so this is a great podcast. Ooh, by the way, podcast studio coming along. I cannot wait to kick it off. We have a soft verbal commitment from Big Boy from Outcast. Hopefully, we get him to be the first guest. Maybe. Killer Mike, I will reach out to him and L LP uh, and see if they can. Uh, uh, and if I would love, I would love to get like, I would love to go big with the first podcast in the new man cave. Um, but we're working on it. Today's guest, I first heard on WTF with Mark Marin. I did. I was kind of unaware of like what, like who he was a little bit, but I knew he was working on a movie with Steve Byrne. I knew. That he had like, I knew he was working. I knew what he, but I wasn't, I was like unaware of like, of like what was going on in his career. And man, this was one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. It really genuinely was. It was the kind of podcast where you became a fan of the guy immediately, immediately, whatever the fuck it is about him. I just fell in love with him. I really did. I think, you know, it's, it's so nice when there's someone that's so very different than you in age and in, in, in ethnicity and in style and in everything but you have so much in common, like so much, you feel like you have so much in common. You know, it's the human story of feeling like the outsider. And I think we all feel like that. We talk about that a little bit in this podcast. We talk about, I mean, I, and then, and then after I heard WTF, I, I think I went and saw crazy rich Asians and I saw him in crazy rich Asians and he, him, I, I think, you know, I would argue he stole the movie. I, I, it was, he made the movie awesome because I, and you'll hear me say this. I am that guy, that guy he played in crazy rich Asians. I am that guy, but more importantly, he's got a movie with my buddy, Steve Byrne that they did. And that will be coming out soon. They're going to try to find a buyer. And when they do, we'll be in the new podcast studio and we'll have them in and, uh, and we'll do a drinking podcast. But, but more importantly, this is a great conversation. It's a really, really great conversation. He has a special right now on Amazon Prime called Good Deal. Check it out. He's hilarious. Uh, I just saw it's trending. It was trending on my news, uh, on my news, Google News. And it was like, uh, I forget what the joke was, but, it, but it, I just saw the, I just saw it trending on my Google News. So um, it's a good deal on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Go see any of the stuff he's in. And like I said, when him and Steve Burns movie come out, uh, we will do a podcast from the new man cave, the new studio. We will have some Jameson. It will be flowing. I will have seen the movie. Segura might come by. Segura's in the movie. Should be fucking awesome. Anyway, 
I'm a pleasure to call my friend, stand-up comedian, actor, fucking all-around awesome dude, and one hell of an interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy O. Yang. This is What's up, Bert? Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Trying to figure out which protein bar to eat. Uh, I don't know anything about that shit. I don't think I've ever consumed a protein bar. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I was sitting here doing like a little pre-interview, and I was like, I wonder if you ever worry about what you eat. Who, me? Yeah. Uh, Not really, to be honest. I I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but. No, I don't. I don't really think about that. Awesome. We go. We're recording, right? Um, the uh, yeah, because I wonder, like, you know, I wonder if it's. By the way, I have to tell you, and I, I know I've told you this before. Uh, your Mark Marin interview is one of my favorite WTFs I've ever listened to in my time. Thanks, man. It, it is one of those ones where you say, "I hope I can do stuff like that on media," where you listen to it, and someone was so open and honest and. So just sharing such a really interesting story that I will guarantee I will harp on some of those points because I find them so engaging. Like, uh, you know, moving to the States when you were 13, uh, going to starting eighth grade in the middle of the year, meeting, having all your best friends basically be kids of, of, of immigrants as well. I find that so engaging. Um, I want to talk about that, but I, I was curious, literally sitting here looking at these protein bars. I was like, I wonder when you, if you are, if you grow up with a genuine foreign palate, meaning like your uh-huh. the food you take in is authentic to your culture, if stuff like a birthday cake protein bar kind of just something like that never never sees light in your family's household, so you I I can't like that stuff like to eat just the nutrient type of stuff. It, it's torture to me. I have to every meal has to be a good meal. That's how I grew up. How my family is because yeah, that's when you gather around the table. That's the joy every day. So you guarantee two or three happy times in your day. And if that's taken away from me by a protein bar, I'll be pissed. Yeah, what's what 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 is um you're you're from Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was born in Hong Kong. This is going to sound like I have a, I used to have a joke about this in my act. I've been to Hong Kong. I have no idea. Hong Kong is was originally is part of China, correct? Yes, and geographically it's part of China and southern China. But then the British, I actually talk about this in my in my set now. Uh the British came over, dropped off a whole bunch of opium so we all got high and then we lost the city. <laughs> and the British were nice enough instead of taking it over and colonizing it forever they signed like some kind of 99 year lease. So Hong Kong was given back to China in 1997. And I was in Hong Kong in that moment. That was a huge moment. Uh, everybody was staring at the TV, seeing literally like a symbolic key handed over from the British to Chinese government. And there's still a lot of fear, you know, cause China is still communist and Hong Kong has been a free city state that has its own government. So it's a lot of protests, a lot of uh, fear out there, the whole Occupy Wall Street and everything else that happened after that. Wow. You remember that, huh? How old were you in 97? You must've been like six. No, Uh, no, I was, I was 10. I was born in 87. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I feel like, I feel like, or my kids are going to get, my kids won't remember the pandemic the way that we remember things in history of like, 
sitting around with your family and watching it on TV. I remember mm-hmm. when the I remember when the wall fell. When I was a kid, we were in junior year of high school, and I was in Coach Weiner's class, and he brought in a TV. He's like, "The wall's falling right now. Like you need to watch this." And yeah. we were in English class and just sitting, going like, God, "Like it's so silly." But I remember, I remember going like, "We won." Like, like, what did we win? But <laughs> yeah, for me, that thing, I mean, sadly, not that I'm trying to bring it up, but uh, it was freshman in high school was 9-11. And uh, yeah, that happened. I still went to school that day. You know, my dad always turned on the news in the morning, which is like, oh, shit, this is bad. That's two, days in, that's, that's two years in America for you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and hey, I, I'm like, I, oh, does this happen? Like, is this a thing in America or is this like totally crazy? I couldn't even. I don't have a reference point. And then uh, I was sitting in my art teacher's class, um, Po Lao, this Chinese guy, and all, all the kids were just glued to the TV. You know, you know, back in the day, they had like the uh, shitty boxy TV on like a metal cart. And it was strapped to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. And it has a VCR on the bottom. So we're all glued to that little like whatever 20-inch TV. And I just, I don't even know what was going on. I was, what, 14 years old? I was just hoping I'd get the day off and get to go home. And, of course, we all did. Uh, and then only later on I realized, oh, my God, this is a horrific, horrific thing that happened. I remember when the, I remember when the shuttle exploded. I remember uh, that not the – by the way, I remember both shuttles. So, like, there was one that happened in, like, 2002, 2003. Uh-huh. I was in a play at the time in L.A. on Santa Monica with four, three other guys in a play about guys who blew up the space shuttle and the shuttle exploded opening night. Fucking crazy. Get like, out of here. You want to talk about serendipity. And then, but I remember I was eating nachos outside my Latin class in seventh grade when the shuttle exploded. Miss Bonneau, she used to, Bonneau's nachos. This woman had a side hustle. Wait, this also wasn't just Spanish class. It was Latin class in seventh Latin. grade. We used to have to take Latin in seventh grade, seventh, seventh and sixth grade at, at where I went to school. And that was the base of all language. Semper uh-huh. ubi sub ubi is all I remember. Uh, what is that? What is that? <laughs> Always wear your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I remember. I remember those moments are interesting of, of when society comes together and kind of goes. Yeah, hey, we're all on the same page right now. We're all on the same. We're all experiencing something at the same time. We're all experiencing history. We're part of history. So it does make you feel alive. And some of the good moments, some of the bad moments, you know, uh, some are just historical moments, like the the key getting handed back. That's not like a horrific event. And people knew it was going to be on July 1st, 1997. But you just all remember that day in history. And there's something special about that. And, And sometimes I think about this pandemic that way. I'm like, you know what? It's really shitty right now. But it's something we're all going to look back and, and it seems like a human experience we can all relate to. Oh, stand-up's going to be interesting when we go back mm. and, and, and to share. Because, yeah. you know, obviously there's some people that do it better than others where you bring in shared moments and that is the glue. Some people don't do it that way. So everyone does it differently. But it'll be interesting to see what people, like how people, how different comics approach the same experience. And also, what does the audience want? Do they want a lineup of all the comics always talking about the quarantine? Like everyone has a quarantine material? Or do they just want completely different things? I don't know. I think they're going to want to escape. I think a lot of people won't want to hear about, yeah, it's nice to be out. It's like, that'll last for a week of like, yeah, good to be saw, out. So, yeah. that on Twitter already, you know, Instagram yeah. already for like months. Don't get me started. It's been driving me <laughs> fucking nuts. Why did your parents, why did your parents want to leave Hong Kong right after 
it seems like Hong Kong got its got its yeah. So, well, no, um, they were screwed over by the communist revolution in China when they grew up in Shanghai. So really? this is not really China getting uh, Hong Kong in their legs back. There's a lot of fear. A lot of people moved during that time because they're like, oh, China, communist China is going to screw Hong Kong up, you know, uh, because I, I don't know if you know this uh, being nope. in Hong Kong. <laughs> Give me, uh, listen, man, I, the, one thing, uh, the one thing I'm very proud of is I, I will tell you when I don't know something because I don't want to sound like a guy who pretends to know things. Right. Because, because I, 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 and I, and by the way, I'm, I am the problem with this country. Like I am an affluent white male who just doesn't give a fuck about a lot of things that don't affect them. So like, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that, but it, you don't it, pretend, it, which is great. Yeah. Right. And I am the problem is, is I, the joke I used to have on stage is, uh, my Russian teacher from the, uh, from the Russian mafia story. She lives mm -hmm. in Hong Kong now. And I, and I used to say, I think that's in China. I don't really know, though. And then I, and I'd say, I think I'm wrong. It's America. Kim Jong-un will fix that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, but, but no, I don't know. So I apologize. Keep going. No. Uh, so um, Hong Kong was a very prosperous town. It became like the, one of the jewels of you know, Asia, right? It's a big import-export hub. And there's free commerce because it was under British rule. Um, so it was very prosperous. It had its own government. Everybody was making a lot of money. And Hong Kong people have a superiority complex over mainland Chinese people. Um, because I don't know, just a different free economy. And even though we're all Chinese, some people would say, Oh no, 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 I'm not from China. I'm from Hong Kong. Or they might even say, no, no, I'm not Chinese. I'm British. Cause we were all born with British passports. You know, I think that's a very dumb take on things. But there is a superiority complex. Like when my dad moved from Shanghai to Hong Kong before I was born, people always make fun of him still now because he speaks Cantonese, which is what people speak in Hong Kong, with a Shanghainese mainland guy accent. So all my Hong Kong friends will call him, oh, mainland guy, Tai Lok Lo, you know, uh, whatever. Um, so there's definitely like a hierarchy almost um, and a superiority mentality. So when Hong Kong was given back to China, a lot of the Hong Kong people were not okay with it. And there's a lot of nervousness, um, including my parents, you know, cause they lived through the communist revolution, which is really rough. And um, so they were already, they had already applied for immigration. It took years, you know, uh, to get a green card, get approved. Luckily my grandfather was already in America. My aunt was already in America. So um, this is like the stuff that Trump talks about that he hates. It's like the chain migration. Because then we came and our uncles came. So everybody's here now. Uh, but we didn't get our paperwork until like the green card until 2000. And I remember in school, it was kind of tough because so 97, I think that was like fourth grade or so. There's always an inkle in the back of my mind because my parents would talk about, okay, one day you're going to go to America. But I'm like, okay, that's not real. That's just them talking about it. And there's never a solid date because we got to wait for the U.S. government to give us the green card, right? So I just mm -hmm. went on and lived my life. And I think halfway through seventh grade was when my dad just one day came home and was like, hey, we got our paperwork and we're going to America after the school year. And then I'm just like, oh, shit. Uh, okay, I guess this is it. You know, there's not a lot of time to mentally prepare. And I didn't have tools to prepare when you're in seventh grade. So next thing you know, I was in eighth grade in America. Crazy. That is, and that is, you know, it's, uh, I, f I find it fascinating. Did you, you, how was your English before you, before you left, came over here? 
So the best way to explain that, it's like I learned English how like American kids or you like would learn Latin or Spanish. Yeah. A completely not conversational. You know some vocab <laughs> words like donde esta biblioteca. I, I learned English. Completely not conversational. Yeah. But then, you're not going to survive if you're like 13 <laughs> years old and I drop you off in Mexico. See, I, but I could, that makes me laugh so much harder because I have a 13-year-old. Yeah. And I can imagine her just being non-conversational, like just being like walking into places going, I like sandwiches. Yeah. I like yeah. sandwiches. Just vocab words. Oh, just vocab words. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So it was pretty rough. Like first year, they have these ESL classes, English uh, for second okay. language as second language. So they put me in classes with a Filipino kid, Sri Lankan kid, whatever. So that was kind of my acclimation. But all the other classes, like math class and stuff, it was all with regular American kids. And um, it was tough, man. I couldn't, I, I, people were speaking like way too fast for me, I feel like, you know. And I, I just, I learned a lot by watching TV and I started watching like, what I thought at the time was the most difficult American English television was BET. So I was like, oh, if I can understand that, I can, I can probably survive in school. Oh, oh, that's so fucking funny. Oh, that's so funny. You know, I got to be honest with you, though. If I, if, if I was brand new to this country, I think culturally, I know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I was born in this country. And culturally, I've always leaned towards uh, hip hop. Like I, yeah. I I'm, uh, I'm influenced by hip hop. I think often, I think the way that uh, that the MCs rhyme and and like Method Man, Big Boy, uh, fucking you name it, it just it sounds prettier. It, it just mm -hmm. even just to hear to hear like Killer Mike talk about about politics, it just sounds better than fucking some white guy. You know, just yeah. It just does flow. That's that's an interesting. Is I'd I'd be probably drawn to that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of hip hop and the black community comes from the outs outsider point of view, which a lot of Asian kids could also relate to. You know. Yeah, what, what that it, Asian kids always? I feel like I feel like I've always had it way rougher than any other Asian kids and Indian kids, which I guess are are yeah. Asian kids in general. But um, they yeah. they've always had an, more of an uphill because. Uh, when it comes to kind of simulating because it's, it's, I mean, you guys have such a different thumbprint culturally. I'm a big fan of David Chang's. Uh, he has a show mm -hmm. called Ugly Delicious on Netflix. And he said, you know, when one of the things, and this leans into cultural appropriation, I didn't understand cultural appropriation mm. until I talked to a chick that worked at the punchline or a uh, cops comedy club in San Francisco. It was a black mm. chick, she had big dreadlocks. And she said, I said, I don't get cultural appropriation. We were talking about Kylie Jenner. She was like, you know what? I'll tell you what it was. Is that I was forced to feel ashamed of that as a kid. And now it's cool. And it's hard mm. for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. And then David Chang said, he goes, I remember people coming over to my house for lunch, friends, white kids. And my mom would whip up something like, I'm, but so, something that smelled very Asian. Sure. And like, fuck. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Aziz said this, but they were like, ugh. And he was like, oh, this, my mom's proud of this. This is what we love. And you think it's gross. And now today I go into those same restaurants and it's white kids cooking it up going, what do you think of this? Yeah. And he goes, fuck that. Like that, you, you made fun of me for that. And now it's cool. Yeah, it, it's tough. And I think every Asian kid went through that same experience of our parents giving us 
a box lunch to go to school and everybody else was eating like a pepperoni sandwich or whatever. And it would open up box lunch and then could be a fish head or like whatever. I think they, they show this on the pilot episode fresh off the boat, but it's a very relatable experience. I went through that. And I think what it is, is um, white people are considered what, what other people consider Americans. Like you look American, right? I've been here for 10 years, 15 years, even if I was born here, People don't look at me as American. They're like, oh, that's Asian kid, that Chinese kid. Even black Americans are, okay, LeBron James, that's an American person, right? Yeah. Whereas Asians, uh, you know, Chinese or whatever, or Indian, um, it's always looked at as other, I feel like. Uh, and, and especially the people that were born here, born in San Francisco, that's been four or five generations, you know, could have been here longer than some white people that had Irish ancestors, but still they're looked at, as the other and and that's that's quite frustrating you know yeah it's got to be what what was it what's it like being a part be, uh, not solely but almost being in every every part of this be- beautiful kind of asian influence in this in our society today with crazy rich asians fresh yeah. off the boat i mean you kind of uh, single-handedly is the wrong word to use but you've been a part of every one of these big influences and seeing Asian culture kind of blossom, not blossom. Is that the wrong word? But like kind of be seen, finally be seen, be represented. I think, you know, that's why they always talk about representation matters and all that. I think we just want to be seen because it gets like back in the day, like I grew up watching Bobby Lee and Matt TV, Ken Jeong and Showtime and Apollo. This was when he was still Dr. Ken and not, you know, Ken Jeong from the hangover. And, I would literally call my dad and be like, dad, come watch. There's an Asian guy on screen and he's fucking funny, you know? Yeah. And when Yao Ming was in, in the NBA, my cheap ass parents, they actually forked out 160 bucks for NBA league pass so we can watch every Yao Ming game. So like, those are all like little watershed moments, right? But they're all very still niche, you know? You have one or two funny Asian guys and nobody's seven, six, so nobody aspires to be Yao Ming. That's not a thing. <laughs> um, so... I, I think why Crazy Rich Asian was so cool was the whole cast was Asian and we're all, all of us, all the actors in the show are so used to fitting in a token Asian role or some kind of Asian role, being the only Asian guy or girl in a show. But with Crazy Rich Asians, we can actually be actors. We're just playing characters. We're not playing Asians anymore. I'm playing this douchebag billionaire guy. Ken is playing this uh, kind of overwhelming father character. You know, Nora gets to shine with her comedy. Uh, and then you got the heartthrob Asians like Henry Golding, you know, the, the rom-com leads like him and like Constance Wu. So everybody gets to just dig in as an actor and play these characters instead of playing the Asian person. And I think when an audience is watching it, especially if you're Asian, you see yourself represented in all spectrums, not just because Bobby or like even the character Apu should never represent the entire race. But when there's only one or two of those characters you see, it ends up being the representation, you know, uh, and it gets amplified. But now I think we're getting a lot fairer representation because you got different spectrums of um, Asians. And Crazy Rich Asian was really like a watershed moment, man. I think even being in the business, uh, people are a lot more open to developing Asian stories uh, telling authentic stories and giving Asian creators a chance, you know? Yeah, it was, it was a, our, our best friends are Asian. Uh, our families, a vacation together, 
Vietnamese and Chinese. Uh, Chinese Ooh. Chinese immigrant from Vietnam, though. So, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and they are, uh, the, I mean, everything I've learned about Asians, everything. I've learned, like, the Asian secrets from hanging out with them. Like, uh -huh. I remember the day, or my friend Sandy, I, I got, uh, she's Chinese, Vietnamese, and uh, I got new sunglasses. I said, try them on. She goes, oh, they're not going to fit on my face. I said, why? And she goes, my nose. They're going to fall off my face. That's so true. Look yes. at these. These are very, like, it's, it's sliding off. I can't get the adjustable ones. Like, it screws me up. And you know, you know what's funny? I need to pull out another pair of glasses for you. So these are regular nose bridges. Yeah. What, like you can buy in America. This is an American pair of glasses. When I went to Japan, all, all of these built-in nose bridges are higher. So you can support your nose better. And here, they have those as well, but it's very hard to find. And they call it alternative fit. So my <laughs> face is not normal. It's alternative. <laughs> But you see, this little thing just makes you feel like you're 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 not normal, you know? Yeah. Oh, she. I've. Sandy and I are very similar. Uh, my, she's my, she is my wife's best friend, and we are identical human beings, and we're, we're very inappropriate. And man, she, I have had so much fun discovering the day she told me about sunglasses. I was like a kid in a candy shop, going up to every Asian person, just looking at, and she's like, Bert. I told you this. You can't just go spread this around. You can't make it a thing. Don't turn it into a fucking bit. And I was like, I can't. Like, I, she, one day she goes, one day she goes, we're walking our dogs and she goes to run after a dog and she doesn't look like she runs that well. I go, God, you run fucked up. She goes, I'm Asian. We're not known for running. And I went, what? <laughs> he goes, look it up, bitch. And then I Google it. An Asian person has never won a gold, silver, or bronze medal in a quick foot race in the Olympics in history. That's and I'm like, except, except hurdling. Hurdling, hurdling. Everyone tripped. Because <laughs> that guy was like the national hero. He was like the Yao Ming of track and field because we never win anything. So I grew up watching the Olympics in China, in Hong Kong. And I always get very excited. We were good at swimming, diving, gymnastics. So during the first, because Olympics were like four weeks and the first two weeks are these uh, skill sports and water sports. And then the, the, the last half is uh, track and field. So I know China in the medal race would do really well in the first half. And then America would kill it in the track and field because we wouldn't win shit <laughs> until this hurdling guy came along. And that was like very cool. That is absolutely true. <laughs> it's, but it's been, uh, and, and, you know, I think uh, palate wise, they've just expanded my palate into like things mm -hmm. my kids would never eat. But if Sandy cooks it or Tom or husband cooks it, my kids are like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll try it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's the, been the one kind of shitty thing about this quarantine is that we usually spend just about every night over at their house hanging out, oh. and uh, and we haven't seen them in like two months. So, oh, yeah, whatever. We, I don't know. We can do like a virtual potluck. You cook some, they cook some, swap it out. Do you cook? We, I, I cook a lot. Yeah, I have a cooking show too. Um, oh yeah, you do. That's uh, yeah. Because yeah. in the back, of I'm obsessed with. I'm a, I'm I'm obsessed with. Uh, you know, growing up, I didn't know any Asian kids, like, at all. In Florida, there was one Sam Ho and Rhonda Ho were in grade school with me. Didn't and know how much did they get made fun of? Um, not, not at all. It was grade school. And so it wasn't like... Uh, oh, it's not there yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah it wasn't there. Um, in high school, I, we didn't have any in our high school at all. And then in college, there was one kid that I knew that was Asian, Ray. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, I mean, like my first joke about Asians was 
written with Dr. Ken. I did not know that Japanese and Chinese were different languages. <laughs> I, di I, I didn't understand. I, didn't, yeah. I literally was like sitting with Ken and I heard these, I, heard, I saw these two older people fighting with the security guard at the Ontario Improv. And I said to Ken, say, hey, your parents are trying to get backstage and they won't let them. And he goes, those are my parents. <laughs> I said, I said, well, are you sure? And he goes, I'm, I'm fucking certain they're not my parents. And I said, well, what are they saying? And he goes, I don't know. I said, well, get closer. Well, I'm dying to know what they're saying because they're really upset. And I don't think it's their fault. And he goes, Bert, I don't speak Japanese. And I was like, are they Japanese? And he was like, are you being serious right now? I, like, I go, what kind of what are they saying? And he goes, I don't kind of fucking. Kind of. <laughs> but it was That's like, it was, it was, and that was like the first, I just didn't know. I didn't know anything. Growing up in Florida, you knew black and white and Cuban. That mm -hmm. was it. You didn't even know Puerto Rican. Like, I didn't even know any Puerto Rican kids. So, and I think that was one of the coolest things about, and, and not to go back to your Marin interview, but one of the coolest things was the, like, kind of the honesty you share with, like, loving sp sports and, and hip-hop and going, like, you know, your story is just every kid's story. It's just a tad bit more amplified because we all felt like outsiders. Every mm -hmm. kid feels like Dave Chappelle had a great joke. He goes, remember first grade, going to first grade, and you felt like all the kids grew up together. You always felt like everyone knew each other. And yeah, then when yeah. you shared that story of showing up mid eighth grade, I don't know why I stick on that so much, but you go, all the kids actually did already know each other. That's so true, man. And, and, and I mean, it's hard to make new friends. Uh, kids at that age, they're not very friendly. They're, they don't have the mechanism of like, oh, let's be nice to the new kids. It's quite the opposite. You gotta try, try to fight really hard. And then eventually when I did, start my own friend group or find my own friend group in high school. First of all, I would go hang out at Paul Lau's cat classroom, my Asian art teacher, every day during lunchtime because he also ran the Chinese culture club in his room. So at least some of the other Chinese kids would, uh, 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 you know, be friendly to me and we kind of become friends. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, I didn't move to America just to hang out with other Chinese kids. I want to see what America's about. I want to have every kinds of friends. Uh, but the thing is, everyone was, you know, like you were saying, so set in their way. They all knew each other. They all went to middle school, elementary school together. So I ended up finding like a group of friends that were like the people that didn't have uh, uh, like a label. Like they weren't the emo kids. They weren't the rocker kids. They weren't the gangsters. They weren't the athletes. It's just a group of random people like these two Persian guys. Uh, my my one of my best friends, uh, Saki from Bangladesh, a Korean guy, and then another Chinese guy. You know, what what was uh, you went to school in Hollywood, right? I went to school in Beverly Hills High School. Really? Yeah, only because my dad used a fake address. What did and, your dad uh, do before? What did your dad do before in Hong Kong? So in Hong Kong, he worked like uh, sales for I think Dow Chemical and like uh, mobile and stuff like chemistry companies. He was very successful. And then started his own business in medical equipment, selling and dealing, because Hong Kong's a big import-export yeah. hub. So then when he came here, he got to start all over, man. Um, he hustled his way and got a job at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor, because you know his thing was like, oh, hey, I can bring you clients from my friend list in Hong Kong or whatever. So Yeah. yeah. You look at your dad differently now that you're an adult and you're kind of like, uh, kind, I mean, not kind of successful, but you're successful and like you've made ways for yourself and now you look at your dad and go 
fuck, man, I can't imagine taking where you are today, starting all over in a brand new, like imagine revamping your career in Bollywood and being like, oh, dude, yeah. You look at your dad and go like, in a different light now that you have a little hindsight as opposed to the way you looked at it maybe at eighth grade when you were like kind of trying to assimilate and you didn't, does that make sense? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I was never like, I, I always respected my dad's work and hustle, you know, but now, so yeah, I definitely feel what you're saying. Like more than ever, it's like, wow, if I had to relocate with a family, first of all, you know, to a different country, uh, of course it would be hard on the kids, but hard on his career too. But he just always kept hustling. man. He never complained about nothing. He, he never, I guess, empathized with our situation. He never was like, hey, I'm sorry you have to move. You're in a new school, but, you know, you get over it. He never had that. But the thing is, he never gave himself that either because he wasn't, like, feeling sorry for himself. I was like, hey, guys, I got to start over, and, like, this is tough. So he's just that type of guy, and I think through that leadership, <laughs> we're just like, okay, let's not go feeling sorry for ourselves. This is fine. Yeah, that's really a fascinating um, – like, that's almost like a fascinating deep dive when you think about it because you're, you're sitting there going – like, you'd want your dad to hear you out and go, that these kids are American kids. They're, they're not the most open-minded kids. I'm the brand new kid. And your dad's like, Hey, I'm a grown up dealing with people that were born racist and are still racist. And yeah. I have a different accent. I sat like, I'm everything. Did your dad get an American name? Uh, yes. His name is Richard. This is actually in my special. Uh, and my name is Jimmy. That's not even my real name. Jimmy, just because it sounded good. It sounded American or whatever. Uh, so Richard. Wait, did you pick it? No, 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 no. I was born with it. In Hong Kong, you were born with it. Like, okay. So for example, like my brother, they named him Roger after Roger Moore, the James Bond guy. <laughs> and my brother hated it. So on his like 18th birthday, he was like, fuck this. I'm not going by Roger anymore. Everybody call, call me Roy. We're like, what the fuck? Like, what's Roy? That's even like an older, whiter guy's name. That's worse. <laughs> so my dad named himself Richard. And I asked him, I was like, dad, why'd you name yourself Richard? And he was like, because I want to be rich. I was like, oh, oh that, that's so, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, I get it now. But I mean, some of the Asian Chinese names are just so on the nose. Like, I think every Chinese family, we know like an old auntie. Her name is like Happy or something. Yeah. Like my, my mom has a family friend named Happy. Uh, my, my friend Sandy uh, got the name Sandy from Greece. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Sandy and Sandy. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's where that's what she told me. I don't know. I mean, but yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Jimmy O. Yang is such a great fucking name. It sounds oh, like thanks, a, dude. it sounds like a, it sounds like a 1980s fusion restaurant. Like, <laughs> like it's got just such a great, it's just, it's a game name you don't forget. It really, you don't forget Thanks, it. dude. I, I, I struggle with it quite a bit because my real name is Manshing Ouyang. It's like four different words. It's a very complicated name, right? And Jimmy wasn't even on my passport or whatever. But all my friends ever since I came to America always call me Jimmy. Some of my old friends in stand-up will call me Manshing, you know, just for fun. And mm -hmm. when Jimmy Ouyang, like, on my ID, it's spelled O-U-Y-A-N-G. So if you spell that out, it's like four vowels together. It's impossible to pronounce. So when I first went on stage, every host would fuck it up. And I went on stage first with a pseudonym, even in open mics. I went by Lowball Jim just because I read it in some poker book somewhere. 
so still my, some of my old friends in stand-up know me as Lowball Jim, but, and then I kept using Jimmy Oyang, like the fully spelled O-U-Y-A-N-G. And it just, it never caught on. It was never right. Like Asian people wasn't sure about Chinese, Japanese, should they root for me? Or am I some like weird, whatever person? So then one day I was like, Let, let's, let's do an experiment. Actually, I opened for Damon Wayne. And he was like, how do you pronounce your name? I was like, Oyang, you know? Uh, and then he was like, nah, you should change that name, dude. No, nobody's going to be able to pronounce. I was like, oh shit, really? And I don't ever want to change the name. It just maybe no. the spelling of it could be better. Because yeah. I was never married to the spelling because some immigration officers spelled it for us. <laughs> right? Like, because our name is written in Chinese. There's, it's not written in English. Yeah. So you can spell, like, uh, do you know the rapper, the freestyle rapper MC Jin? No. He was a really sick uh, New York Chinese, like, freestyle rapper. That was in 106 and Park for many years. Uh, he, him and I have the same last name, uh, written in Chinese. It's Ouyang, you know, but yeah. he, his is spelled A-U-Y-E-U-N-G. It's a totally different spelling, but it's two, two of the same names. Um, and, uh, so, so eventually I was like, I'll give it a shot. Let me like do it like Samuel L. Jackson, like put the O in the middle and then Yang in the end. And then I uploaded, I re-uploaded some old sets of mine, like little two minute bits on YouTube and Facebook that never got no traction. Now with that new, very Chinese sounding last name, everybody got behind it. Chinese people got behind it. It's like, yo, look at, they're sharing it. They're like, yo, look at this Chinese brother doing stand-up, you know? And then a very niche community, the Hmong community got behind it. Whoa. Yeah. You know, I remember the first day I ever heard about Hmongs in my life. I was in Denver. I had these great jokes. I had so many great jokes, just real, like real honest uh, jokes about Asians that I, of just shit I didn't know. Uh-huh. And, and and I was learning like one of the, and they were all like crowd things when I was younger, everything was like a joke was interactive. And then I would tell you my joke interactive. And then I go to my joke mm-hmm. like, uh, Oh, you're Filipino. One thing I know about Filipinos, they got the most American names ever. What's your name? Uh, Martha, Martha. Like it would be, they yeah, would yeah. always kill. Right. And I had a joke about Vietnamese people. And I was re- I used to be really good. I'm not anymore. I, I'm by the way, I'm not because I think it's racist, but, but I used to be really good at, being seeing an Asian person and just saying where they're from, like, mm-hmm. oh, are you Vietnamese? And they go, how did you know? And I, that is a skill. That's a learned skill. It's, sure. it's just it's a comic skill from doing enough crowd work and, and being wrong. You could also <laughs> tell what cars people drove. Like there was like, it was amazing how good I was at stand up when I was younger at interacting with a crowd. Mm, um, yeah. And I remember in Denver nailing it and saying to this woman, "Are you Vietnamese?" And she said, "No." And I said, "Thai." She said, "No." I said, where are you from? She's a Hmong. And I, I'd never heard of it. And the way she described it, it sounded like she was making it up. She goes, we're the hill people. And I went, what? And I was like, I was like, and I kept going, she's fucking with me. And then, and then white people going, no, we have a very large Hmong community here in Denver. And I was like, hold on. You don't know what the fuck they are. And I dug myself into such a hole that they, they, they and, and then all of a sudden we get, when, get done the show and I drank with this lady and she told me all about Hmong. So go ahead. I apologize. Was Mom, this before or after Grand Torino? Because I honestly oh, only it was before, about, way before, way before. Okay. Because I learned about the Hmong community. Even being Chinese, I wasn't really, I didn't know what it was really. And I learned about it in Grand Torino. Maybe not the best representation. I don't know. Uh, but then, you know, when I changed the name Yang, apparently just Yang itself, it's a very popular Hmong last name. That's also a Chinese last name. And then all these Hmong brothers and sisters start like messaging me. 
and sharing, you know, all these videos on Facebook. Next thing you know, the video that was never getting no traction was getting like 2 million views, like overnight. And, uh, and my fan base started growing. And then, you know, in um, uh, Facebook, you can check the demos, like which cities you have the best fan bases. And then I realized it was like Minnesota, Denver, like all these places with a big Hmong community. And yeah. uh, I'm, I, I didn't trick them into thinking I'm Hmong to be a fan. Like I'm, I'm very happy and I love the Hmong people, but that was a very uh, beginning phases of my stand-up finally catching some traction. Do you catch, do you catch like inter-racism within Asian communities when you do something like Crazy Rich Asians, which, and by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like was a story based on privileged Asians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and then you get people like, and I'm once again, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I listened to David Chang do it and they were talking about Asians and one of his friends on his show called him something like the jungle Asians. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, you know, like I'm listening going like the fuck did he just say? You can't say that, but it's, it's, it's an Asian person talking about Asian people the right, same right. way we would talk about rednecks or hill people or right. country yokels. And I was like, wow. And then I thought, do you get like, is everyone so happy to have representation that you are at the first level where everyone's like, I don't give a fuck. It's crazy rich Asians. We all love it. And then you look at it and you go, true acceptance is when Asians start shitting on Asians and going, fuck that guy. He's from oh. Singapore. And we do that. You know? really? I mean, if, if, if you call a Chinese person Filipino, he might get pissed. But in reverse, if you call a Filipino Chinese, he's like, whatever, you know? And then, of course, we all hate on each other, even regionally. Like I was telling you, Hong Kong, people will hate on mainland China, their, their neighbors, because they speak a different dialect. So there's a lot of that. And I do the next step, like the stuff that I'm writing, scripts I'm writing, if it features, you know, which it often does, a lot of Asian characters. I always try to find the nuances of like, OK, because usually when you see two Asian people in a script, they are buddies, they're best friends or they're brothers, cousins or whatever. But what if it's a Korean guy and a Chinese guy and they actually hate each other the most, you know, or, and that would be a fun dynamic, you know, because we're not all, whereas my wife friend would be like, hey, watch guys, you guys hang out. You guys go talk to me. I'm like, no, I fucking hate this guy. You yeah. know, I'm not saying Chinese people hate Koreans and vice versa. Right, right. I know, what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's like Boston in New York. Yeah. To find the nuances. Right. Uh, but I think you start off with um, the broad strokes. I think everyone was stoked to see Yao Ming if you were Filipino or whatever or anything, right? But now, even Crazy Rich Asians, like we had Singaporeans, which who were uh, mostly immigrants from China that speaks the Hokkien dialect or the Singapore dialect that's a little different, the Singlish. So it's very cool. Like we even throw in like Kuku Jiao, like my character says that it's like little dick, you know, in Singlish. So, so, so we made sure, or in Hokkien, so we threw that in. So the local fans got really stoked. And then, of course, the Filipinos got stoked when they saw Nico Santos, great friend, great comedian in the movie. And also we hired uh, Chris Aquino. She's like the Oprah of the Philippines. And she had like a two-line cameo in that movie. Uh, so people were really stoked about that. So it's good to see, first of all, see representation of just your race and then maybe more specific representations. And even my dad, he's specifically proud when people are from Shanghai. Like Yao Ming is not just Chinese, he's from, he's Shanghainese. He grew up in the street, like down the street from my dad. So he's especially proud of Yao Ming. Wow, that's really fascinating. That it really is, it, it, do, you, do you ever have to deal with, and how do you deal with, I'm, I don't, I'm gonna say do you ever have to, I'm certain you do. When you deal with a network or a, 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 or a studio who 
immediately they just want to capitalize on Asian people. And they're like, yeah, how are we getting this to your people? Like, I understand we gave you this. How do we get this to your people so that we get big numbers and we all get big paydays? Yeah. Luckily, I think they're less active than that, right? Like, really? it's, it's usually they're hearing pitches like, okay, I got five ideas. Let me pitch this. And now because of Crazy Rich Asians, I may be getting more of an opportunity than they're taking me more seriously. Uh, there was before, one time. Before they would have been, I remember when, I remember hearing a network exec. I, I can't really get into detail about this mm-hmm. because I, 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 people could figure out very quickly who it was. But I remember hearing a network exec saying something very negative about Asian people to me mm-hmm. in a meeting. And no one said a fucking word. And I remember going, I remember being rubbed the wrong way by that going like that's and, and just going like, if I told my friend that he'd thought he'd want to quit this job. And yeah, yeah. no, I'm not saying that doesn't exist. That oh, no, no, that, but that's exists. when I started this business. Yeah. That was everywhere. I mean, you mm-hmm. talk, you know, Steve Byrne very well. Yeah. I'm certain, certain he has shared with you his uphill struggles with, and Steve is not super Asian centric in his act. And I mean, he's he, half. He's yeah. half, but he's, yeah. he's not, he's yeah. not sitting there. Like he's just a, he really just came at comedy from a dude from Pittsburgh kind of yeah. personality, you know? And, yeah. and he always spoke about, and he's always been sensitive about his, his, his place in the world, like anyone else. But like, like I said, uh, what, what is it like when you go in and you, do you find like white executives can be in like, like almost now i think it's it's almost even if they are racist and just see dollar signs on our heads because of crazy rich agents i'm okay with that because that's given us a chance right uh but i do see some opportunistic people opportunists uh like a studio i'm not gonna say who it is uh sent out this uh just like a one sheet that says we want to make a movie that's like uh the chinese golden dragon palace restaurant and who wants to write it? And then and my agent sent it to me. I'm like, it's this, was the guy that came up with the idea, was he, like, they come from a restaurant family. Why does he feel so strongly to write this? And then I was like, this just feels like to me he's taking advantage, trying to make another Crazy Rich Asians without any passion or any backstory. And I hated stuff like that. And then you also see a lot of, um, I'm not going to name names, uh, and it's, not even that negative of a thing, but a lot of Asian people that never uh, uh, was with the community, you know, but because now we're getting some heat and now Crazy Rich Asians did well, they want to rep the Asians now. You know, uh, me and my buddies call those people opportunistic Asians. You know, they know who they are out there, but, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I want them to succeed also, but, you know, make hay when the sun shines. Yeah. How much fun was all your scenes in Crazy Rich Asians are like fun fucking scenes. Super fun. And how much just fun? I just I mean, like yeah. when you came on and, and and I had known you at the time, I think I think I saw it. I don't know if I saw it bef- what after we met or before we met. Mm. But I remember knowing you when I saw it. And then, you know, I don't know why, for whatever reason, I, for whatever reason, man, and I, I can't I cannot emphasize emphasize this enough. Your WTF, I was on a plane and I fell in love with you. I was oh, like, thanks, I started man. rooting for you. It's, it's, I've said this a million times. I'll say it one more time. When you become a fan of someone, uh, like, and I'm, I'm a fan always. I'm always a fan. I'm a fan of Rogan's. I'm a fan of Tommy's. I'm a fan of Joey's. I'm a fan of them. When they do well, it makes me feel good. Like, mm, I get excited. That's I'm a big fan of Aquafina's. I'm a big fan of hers. Absolutely. Like, I'm amazing. A, 
big fan and my kids are huge fans of hers and our and our best friends uh their youngest daughter lily who we call lou it reminds us all of aquafina like they're very similar personalities just very very funny very like unique personalities and so when i saw both of you guys in that movie i got excited when i'll say when aquafina uh in um in jumanji switched over to danny devito's character i get chill bumps i i pump my fist and i was like fuck yeah she's killing it but when you showed up in that movie i go i'm like fuck yeah this is a great character it's great scenes it's beautiful visually gorgeous and you are the guy that i would be in life you know like yeah i would be in life and so i got i got excited but all i could think was and this is on the business side i kept thinking how much fucking fun is he having right now Oh, so much fun. And not just those scenes alone. Because when you shoot, it seems like, you know, it's a fun scene. But those fun scenes require a ton of energy. And yeah. it's, we shot day to night and I was exhausted, you know. I mean, everybody asked me, it's like, all those models, did you hook up with any of the models? I was like, yo, I was dead. Like, I had to go back to my hotel room and that was it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was badly sunburned and everything. It was hot as shit. But obviously not to complain, but I'm saying like those aren't even the most fun days. The most fun days were like the big wedding dance scenes and the weddings. And all of us were hanging out. We all had like little hotel rooms or like holding rooms, you know, close to the set. And we're all just playing video games in a room. And one by one, we'll get called down because the fun wasn't, I guess, just shooting a rocket launcher or like dancing. It was just the camaraderie of hanging with these other amazing, cool ass Asian people, man. And, and being and all being together, almost like bad example, but like St. Elmo's Fire, being together with a group of artists, all at a very young part in all of your careers, absolutely, and getting to be a seminal moment, not just for art and movies, but for your communities in whole. And nobody was a star. Some of us have done some stuff. I've done Silicon Valley. Gemma has done a lot of stuff. Constance done Fresh Off the Boat. I got. By the way, I almost got. This is gonna sound so stupid. Mm. I got so protective of Constance when they were started shitting on her. Like I just only because I I loved that movie, and I and I re- I really loved Crazy Rich Asians. I don't know why. I, I you know why part of it was ha- like not halfway through, but like a third of the way through, I stopped seeing Asian people. I just saw people, yes. and I started going like I'm just See, following the story. That's you know? huge. Because that, in your mind, you internalize and humanize it. There now, you're just watching a love story. Yeah, and, and that is exactly the thing we need to make Asian people feel normal to everyone. When you get in the brain of like, oh, I'm just watching a rom com. Yeah, it's you know, I as 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 elevated as I've I've said horrible things at times. Like we left <laughs> Black Panther once. When when we left Black Panther, I got in the car with my kids and I go, God, I wish they'd do something like that for like white people and. <laughs> Like, oh god, like Superman dad, and I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, good call. Sorry, (laughs) okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, like, but it was, it was a really cool, uh, I really did love that movie. And, but how, what a neat, what a neat life experience. Yeah, we all came up together and we just knew, like, Nora, Aquafino blow up after that, you know, Henry and everyone. So, we're all there from the ground up, and we're all still best friends. Like, best of friends before the pandemic whenever uh the australians remy chris was in town Gemma, the you know british people were in town we all hang out and alcina lived like five blocks away from me so we just hang out all the time whenever we're in town we're always the first people we call when we're in town 
God, I bet, I bet. Did you did you get to go promote that uh, when they like? How much fun was? That? It was fun. They teamed us up. Warner Brothers actually spent a lot of money promoting it because they believed in the movie so much. And 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 and, and once again, start this from the beginning almost because I don't think yeah. the average person listening to this understands. But like, Asian dollars in movie theaters are a big fucking deal. Yes, and, and like so, like a global, a worldwide, and and. And and this movie had like they rolled the red carpet out for you guys. Yeah, well, we did really well domestically. Actually, we bombed in China, believe it or not. For real? Because they released it. It became such a big. They weren't going to release it. We didn't get a release date in China, but we became such a big deal here. China gave us a release date, but it was a month too late. So there's two reasons. People already pirated, watched yeah. it. Secondly, the movie is in a very Asian American point of view or a very modern Asian point of view. So when Asian people watch that movie, they're like, "Oh, why is the mom supposed to be the bad guy? She's correct. You know, the son is not coming home. The son's an asshole." So they're like, "What is going on?" You know. So to them, oh, it's a cultural flip that they don't understand. Uh, it's oh, a, it's different. Cool. So we didn't we didn't actually do well in China, but we did well domestically, and I think Europe, maybe Korea and stuff. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it was a great experience, and I can't. I mean, they're still working on the second one on the script side. I don't know when that will happen, but I can't wait just to go back and hang out. At it, you know? Yeah. Well, if there is a role for a fat white guy, <laughs> it it would be. I would. By the way, I would. Yes. I yeah. That, that, I just seem like such a fun movie to shoot. Now, tell me about. I want. I'm always curious about how privy were you to the drama on fresh off the boat with eddie wong oh i i don't know too much about it i i did a guest star like on three episodes on fresh off the boat but that was their last ish season i think you so, so you eddie really, wasn't there yeah, yeah he, eddie hits me up every now and then just because we're in the same community and we talk you know he's a dude he's one of those guys that i fell in love with right off. I've, I've made some jokes about him being a comic but that's just because we're all as comics like yeah, he's yeah. doing stand-up and i was i remember made a joke one time to uh I think to, I forget who, but I was like, they're like, you're not even a chef. I go, I'm more a chef than Eddie Wong is a comic. <laughs> <laughs> How's this comedy? He just did it a couple times. I oh, think. okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he ever was like focused on it. You yeah. know, the, like for like someone like me and you, like you came up at the haha. You got to fucking love comedy. Exactly. Come up at the haha. That is uh, a rough fucking place to cut your teeth. Because, because when I explain to people, like I had to pay five dollars. I have to drive an hour, pay the club $5 to do five minutes of open mic in front of five shitty pissed off comics. Yeah. That sounds horrific, right? But you got to understand as bad as that sound, it was better than any alternative that I had. And I loved it. So you just got to love it more than that horrible sounding thing, you know? Yeah. What was it? What was, so how did you tell me about getting into stand up and, and mm -hmm. kind of, and once again, and I apologize if I'm, I'm putting stereotypes that don't exist. But what was it like explaining to your parents, I'm going to leave. I went to college. I did well in college. Oh, yeah. They don't, they don't get it. Like, I, I told my dad about it. My parents didn't get it. And my parents, and I was written up in Rolling Stone magazine, and I had Oliver Stone option the rights to my life. And they were like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> I can't imagine if you had, like, a internship at, a, at, you know, like you were on your path to what. Yeah. Asian parents were like, this is the dream. I, I left and gave up my fucking friends. So that yeah. you could have the life that you're following and you want to do what? Exactly. They don't get it. My dad was just hoping it was like a terrible phase. 
probably thought I was high or something and just delusional. Uh, he, he doesn't even know what stand-up comedy was. We never grew up with it, right? So he just called it a talk show. He's like, what, you're going to do a talk show? You're going to be Jay Leno? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you... He doesn't understand it at all. I even... When I found some... Not success, but when I was starting to do well in comedy, I did Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. I think I was middling. Or maybe even opening. And then um, I invited my dad to Vegas, to the MGM, my parents, my mom was there. And I put him up in a nice room that they hooked us up with, got him really nice seats, made sure the manager took care of him. I'm like, okay, Asian parents, they don't understand stand-up, but they understand Vegas. Their son is doing well. And then my buddy, uh, Jack Cohen, um, was he was the middle. I was the opening act that night. And then uh, he asked my parents, you know, outside, you, you want to shake hands with the people after the show and then jack saw my dad come come out and he's like oh my god you must be so proud of jimmy he crushed it tonight he was so good and then my dad just looked at him he's like no jimmy's not funny oh wait, wait why what it did why did- he doesn't understand because a lot of the humor is cultural you know so he doesn't understand and he doesn't appreciate and understand stand-up as an art form he came around a little bit during like second or third season of silicon valley because he understands TV. He's like, okay, Silicon Valley is a very good show because the writing is very good. So yeah. he kind of still didn't give it up to me. He never said my acting was good or anything. Oh, uh, interesting. So, so, so it was like a slow build. And that took him to like the Crazy Rich Asians premiere. I took him to the Patriots Day premiere. And that's when they got it, when they get to take a selfie with like Michelle Yeoh and like Mark Wahlberg and stuff. So did they, did they when Crazy Rich Asians came out, was there like this like watershed moment that where they understood like of pride where they were like god damn it this is i mean obviously i think you'd had success before that but like at that moment as yeah. a parent did they did they wrap their head around it yeah i think one of the most special things uh i did this actually the last two movies i did um because crazy rich asian was shot in malaysia and singapore and then the last week of shoot i flew them out i flew my parents out to kind of hang out and they loved it and uh the good thing about having a lot of Asian friends like we did on uh, Crazy Rich Asians was everyone was so respectful of my parents. They were like, oh, Mr. Oya, can I help you? Like, like, do you need anything? Like Ronnie Chang was being so cool about it and everything. Uh, so they loved it. And uh, they get to see that experience ground up. And now, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm in grade school and like they know all my friends. They're asking, how's Ronnie doing? How's so-and-so doing? So that was really sweet. And then I shot this movie, Fantasy Island in Fiji. And I flew them out also uh, for a week so they can hang out. Uh, yeah, so, so now, now they get it. It's fine. You know, I, I think it's just an initial worry of a parent. Not that they don't want me to be happy. Not that they don't want me yeah. to pursue the arts. It's just they're worried that I'm going to be fucking homeless. And now they oh, don't have to be anymore. It's a, so. it's a safe worry. I mean, yeah. every one of us, it was a roll of the dice for all of us. Yeah. And who would have predicted when you started, oh, just so you know, there's going to be a lot more representation in like five years, 10 years. Yeah, because I think Asian kids growing up, myself included, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about doing stand-up or acting? There's two. Out of a billion people, there's two. You think you're going to fucking make it? Go buy the lottery, you know? Two. What did the, the, someone just made a joke at Chappelle's, uh, Chappelle's Mark Twain's Rose. Did you see that? They go, when Chappelle started... It yet. They go, when, when Dave Chappelle started, they only allowed one black person to be famous at a time, unlike now where they allow three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you forget, you know, you forget what it's like to be 
Oh, you forget sometimes you're a white guy. That's all. It's like you forget you're a white guy. And so sometimes you'll say things like like I'll right. give you a perfect fucking example. Uh, when when um, uh, fucking what's his name got yoked and ripped. Uh, oh, when Kumail got ripped and I was like, I remember I as a comic, I have a weird thing about body image about like, I don't know. I think because I, I think I've dealt with it in my career of like people calling me fat and then me trying to lose weight and then me getting frustrated and going, any moron can lose weight. I don't want to be ripped. And then Kumail got ripped. And, and part of me initially was like, God damn it, man. Like we, we lost a good one. Like he was, he was one of us, you know, like yeah. one of the guys that made fun of the guy that got ripped. And then one day I'm sitting, I'm taking a shit. I'm reading the article. I think Kumail's on the cover of men's health or something. Something like that. Yeah. And I read about representation and I, and I realized Kumail had to do that because he doesn't want some young Pakistani kid to see him just as the guy going, uh, uh, the line's free. Try it now. Like he's going to be in a Marvel movie. He should be a fucking superhero. Let little, let young kids like him growing up look and go, I can be fucking Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. It's not just Chris Hemsworth type looking kids. They get to be that kid. And yeah. that's when it, it and, shifted. And, and exactly. That's what's special because he wasn't born a Chris Hemsworth. He right. became a Chris Hemsworth, which is awesome. Because if you took Brad Pitt and or say there's an Asian Brad Pitt, uh, Henry Golding or something, right? And we look at him or the young kids that look normal like me, we're like, oh, okay, he made it because he's super good looking. I'm not saying this about Henry. He's amazing. But it's like, it's not realistic for me. But Kumail made it as a regular Kumail, and then he got jacked. I think that's what's special about that story. Did you? Did you? When you did you did a, a stint on Two Broke Girls, like a walk on? Did you meet Whitney when you, when you were there? I never did. Uh, I met Whitney later, uh, way later. But I had a two line part, and that was my first job. That's how I got my SAG card. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I always wonder. Like, do you, what, I'm the kind of guy that if I had done that. And I ran into Whitney later. I would have been like, hey, just so you know, my first thing was Two Broke Girls. I was on Two Broke Girls. So I, I used to do that with people. But then I realized, why put myself in that position? So the Steve Byrne movie I did, the opening act. I want to uh, talk to you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because Vince Vaughn produced it, right? Yeah. And Vince is super nice. He came, he came up to me on set one day. Uh, he's like, yo, I think you're doing a great job. We're so lucky and happy to have you you know, playing the lead of this movie. And it was like, I was so fucking excited anyways. Now, the thing is, my second job was in a movie called The Internship with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Yeah. And I had one line, I think maybe in Mandarin, playing ping pong with Vince. It's just a one day, day player thing. No way Vince would have remembered it. And my uh, role got cut anyways, right? And I don't think I was saying my lines right. I was just shit. So now I had an opportunity ten, five years later seeing Vince and I'm the lead in the movie that he's producing. I could have been like, Vince, you know what, man? One of my first jobs was uh, playing ping pong. And, but why put myself in that situation? You know, let him just be happy that I'm the lead of his movie instead of like, oh, we hired this fucking day player guy like, you know, uh, that used to play ping pong. Oh man, I might have made a mistake. So I'm like, let's not even put myself in that situation. It's so interesting. I'm such a fucking... I'm such a guy that I want to connect the, I want always want to connect the pieces. Mm-hmm. So I always want someone to know I was the guy. Like I remember saying someone, I remember saying to an executive one time, it's so good that we, to finally meet you. I said, we met before. 
And they're like, really? Oh. I was like, yeah, yeah. You came to a comedy club. I was working the door and you lost a scarf. And I said to you, oh, I just had stepped on a scarf and you got really upset. And she was like, oh, yeah, my scarf was ruined. And I was like, that was me. That's cool. She, See, like, I remember her going like, yeah. what the fuck? Why would you even tell me that? I don't think before I talk sometimes. So I will just start speaking and go, yeah, I really fucked that up, huh? Well, but that's what's <laughs> endearing about you and, and everything, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's cool. Um, I did that once. Um, not once. I've done this many times, just like an old person. But one time I do specifically remember was Mike Judge was my commencement speaker at yeah. UCSD. And first day of table read of Silicon Valley. Never met him. He didn't hire me because I went to UCSD. It's completely dumb luck. And I was like, hey, man, you were my commencement speaker, man. And, and I was hoping, in the back of my mind, you make up these scenarios that Mike would shake my hand, hug me, and be like, wow, son, how was that? How special of you to have made it now on my show after five years, you know? So I was hoping for this big speech, and then all Mike said, he was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. It's just very Mike Judge. But we remained very close friends, you know, but that's just his demeanor. And I always thought that was such an opposite of what I would thought the best case scenario would be. Man, Mike Judge just hit it out of the park every time he's done something. Guy's every a genius, man. Guy's done. And he's so freaking chill. Have you, have you hung out with him? Because he no, always... I've never even met him. He's good friends with uh, Henry Phillips. Uh, so he's always yeah. hanging out the improv and the comedy store and stuff. Henry Phillips um, is one of my favorite human beings alive. Yeah, he's awesome, right? Uh, Mike loves stand-up. And whenever I hang out with him, he's just like the chillest. He doesn't think he's Mike Judge, like truly. One time I, we're at this bar in Santa Monica. Um, we walked in and they gave us like a seat that they saved for him. And we all sat down, gave us free drinks. And then Mike, I just remember turned to me. He's like, yeah, I started coming here. I don't know why, but they just been like really nice to me. I'm like, yeah, because you're fucking Mike Judge. What do you mean? Like, of course they're 19. Well, do this in Spago too. <laughs> yeah, but he, he just has a very nice disconnect with Hollywood. Because yeah. he's just a, re a regular guy. Yeah, that's I. I have a buddy who's working with him right now, and uh, and he brought him up, and he was like, "Dude, he's like the fucking realest, most regular dude ever." I was like, "Really?" He's like Bud Lights. Yeah, that's it's awesome to hear when you hear that about people. You mm -hmm. know, like that they're regular and they're cool. And it's so funny. I think I am probably what, what like I think what what people would like to hear about someone. Like I'm really regular. I'm really mm -hmm. cool. I'm pretty grounded. But I always feel insecure about that. I wish I was more of a standoffish, like, like I wish I was more of like, of like what I see that's successful. You ever see someone successful and and then go, so is that how I'm supposed to behave? Right, but that's not. That just I think that's a byproduct. It's not because they're standoffish that's why they're successful, right? And, and for you, you're definitely like super likable, approachable guy. I remember in San Diego when we did that Kaboo Festival. I was so embarrassed because I was with like five of my college buddies and they mobbed you. They're like, Bert, take a picture. And then they start quoting his stuff. And I was just like, guys, you guys are completely embarrassing me. But you like, yeah, I'm sure a bit of you were maybe like, uh, you know, leave me alone with the selfies. But you were so nice into cracking a beer and drinking with these guys and just being chill. And, and, and I think that's definitely a, a great appeal, you know? Yeah, I, I think I... I can't help it. Like if I see like th today, some guy did a, did like a producer rap of the machine. Like he, he did a rap, like a seven minute rap. I'm really into hip hop, but I was like, I thought how cool, like, by the way, I, 
I guess some people probably wouldn't notice it or wouldn't take the time to listen to the whole thing. But I listened to it and I was like kind of moved. I was like, how cool. It's a cool song. The guy's got good, but like he does the whole story and he raps it. And I'm still impressed by that. Like when people do Photoshops of me, I go, someone cares enough to do that. Like that kind of blows me away a little bit Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, and I, I think I'm very lucky for whatever reason to have found success a little later in my career. I've always had some success. I've always, I'm very, very lucky. I've always made money in this business, but to be where I'm at now at the age I'm at, I think it really gives me perspective. Like if I was your age, if I was your age and I was doing open mics and I saw you blow up, I might've, I mean, I, I guess it didn't happen to me. So I wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened, but I'm saying I can empathize with the kids who are jaded and young and not succeeding. I can empathize with, kids that blow up when they're young. I can empathize with guys that are my age and still not making it happen. I can empathize right. with all of it. So I feel like I've gotten to experience all spectrums of this business a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And I think it's like veteran guys like you, like Tom, like, uh, like Mark that I respect so much because you guys been through the thick of it yet. You're still open to the younger generation. Uh, cause a lot of older people, they're like, fuck you. I've been in a comedy store for 15 years. Who the fuck does this kid think he is? Yeah. You know, you guys have the opposite of that. And it's so welcoming of the younger generation like me. So what was the experience working with like Steve Byrne? I've known Steve. Steve's one of my close friends. I've mm-hmm. known him as long as I've been in the business. And, uh, and w- so tell me about the movie. I'm super, I'm super excited for that. And you also have a uh, space force coming out, right? Yeah. 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 I'll tell you by about. the way, I saw the trailer for that. I uh, just interviewed um, uh, Ben Schwartz. Oh, he's the best. He's so cool. Bro, I'm I'm going through a little bit of a Ben Schwartz obsession right now. He is one of my favorite improv actors to watch act in a scene. So smart. I think he is the best improviser, especially in a live stage out there. Him and Thomas. Yeah, amazingly talented. Amazing. Yeah. You worked with Thomas on... Uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But tell me, I want to talk about Space Force, but I really want to talk about... Obviously, I, I love Steve like a brother. So. Yeah. So the movie was called The Opening Act. Uh, Peter Billingsley and Vince Vaughn produced it and Steve wrote and directed it, which is super impressive for a comic to have. And he always has that drive, you know, to do more, to do other stuff. He's always working. Um, so yeah, we, the, he approached me. He's like, you know, I think you could be right to play this kind of lead part in this movie because it's about a guy that's like an open micer making his way through and he gets a call from a legit improv to open for his hero so he gets his first road gig and the whole movie takes place in one weekend that thursday when he gets the call he has to drive out to the club the friday what happens the saturday the drunkenness and then the sunday of leaving the club so it's extremely detailed it's an extreme detailed look in the back workings of a comedy club you know and, and i think it, a comedian's gonna love it and every comedian was in the movie, like Whitney, Russell Pierce, uh, uh, Tom was in the movie. He gets to punch me in the face. Steve, Steve left a couple comics out. Myself. Fucking asshole. You want to know what Steve did? You want to know what Steve did? I swear to God. I swear to you, Jimmy. I'm not lying at all. He calls me and he goes, Bert. I was like, what's up? He goes, I got this great movie I'm doing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. And I said, no, no, I have. And he goes, and I got this great like role for a cop and I wanted to call you and see if you got Segura's number. And I went, oh, oh, dude, no. And by the way, and I'll bust his balls about that forever, but it's a testament to how good of friends we are is that 
in Steve's brain, he didn't think at all. And I didn't think at all. It's yeah. I make it as a joke now, but mm-hmm. he just thought, you know, oh, it's Bert. I'll just, it's my friend. I'm going to call him. I need to his number. I want Segura to play the role. And I, I busted his ass so many times on fucking interviews, podcasts. And to this day, I will never let that go. Oh, but, that's hilarious. But yeah, but yeah, Segura played a racist cop, which I think is perfect because Segura is like legit racist. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What if it? What if I had just frozen on Zoom and I was like, yeah, I'd be like, uh, Steve, <laughs> should we talk about something? But yeah, did you, how long was the production? It was nineteen days. I shot. I was in every single scene, twelve hours a day. It was exhausting, <laughs> uh, and that was like my first lead role, you know. Uh, but it was extremely rewarding and because I came up with this realm. I know what the first phone call was like to open for someone and, and, and what a Friday night partying is like, but you got to be ready for Saturday. And then Saturday you wake up, your feature wants to go to like a museum or some shit. Or, you know, you come back to the condo and the feature is banging some, you know, uh, 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 groupie. All that stuff. It's so real. And Steve is like the ultimate road dog. And I say that uh, in the most positive way. So he knows all the inner work. So I think any stand-up comedy fans that want to learn more about stand-up, it's going to find like the most truthful made by comedian version of yeah. a real stand-up movie. Um, and I hope, I mean, it hasn't came out yet. Uh, I think they finally finished the edit uh, and they're going to shop it around. Maybe it'll come out since we can't do a theatrical release, maybe video on demand, maybe Netflix. I don't know yet. Um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you guys will get a theatrical release and things will ease up by then. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Would, I would love to have, I would love to do a, a, when I hope my goal with, with the movie has been to bring everyone here, all the cast, have, have cocktails and do a, a podcast to promote it. Oh, um, that'd be really cool, dude. And, and, and when we're building a new podcast studio, so hopefully, you know, everything when things are getting, God damn it, man, I'm getting like fucking old. I feel like I'm talking and stuttering these days. Um, hopefully the new studio will be built and we can do like a big drinking podcast, get you, Tom, oh, uh, Billy Gardell's on it. Is Billy Gardell in it? No, uh, Cedric the Entertainer's in it. Uh, Cedric, Ken, Ken Jong's in it. Neil yeah. Brennan. Bill Burr's in it. I just oh, yeah. did a scene with Bill this morning uh, on Zoom. On, oh, not cool. on Zoom, but yeah, yeah. I have a, a show scene? on... Yeah, 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 I have a show on uh, Netflix coming out in a little while, and uh, and we needed to do some pickups for it, but because all the pickups are not, you can't do anything. We're doing them uh, via FaceTime calls, so we shoot it a certain way and we do it on Zoom. We do the That's audio, so the acting done through Zoom, but we film it a certain way. And Bill, fucking, mer- like you know, I've known Bill forever. We do a podcast together, but. Uh, to him acting, it's he's different. A Acting's actor. a different muscle. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. But he's good. How, he's good. How, yeah, how much improving do you feel like you do when you're acting, or how much do you stick to a script? It depends if they let me. If they let me, I'll go pretty loose. Like certain seasons of Silicon Valley, where we're loose and we have time. Um, it's interesting. Like, like Steve's movie, because the schedule is so tight. I get to improv whenever I could, like after we got a shot in the can and then yeah. I have to ask him like, maybe, okay, let me, let me give it one more try. But then sometimes you feel bad asking because if we don't make the day, then we're fucked, you know? So it all depends on what it is, who the director is, uh, the, the tone of the show. Like, uh, for example, I'm going to make a smooth transition here. 
on Space Force. Um, the first season, you know, the first season of Space Force, uh, I mean, Steve Carell is the master. John Malkovich is the master. Ben Schwartz, master, right? So, of course, you want to do some improv, but there was a lot of camera setups, as you can see from the trailer. The show shot brilliantly. It's beautiful. It has a voice even through the shots, right? So, so we did a lot of the, uh, um, we let the DP do his thing, have some great shots but we didn't do as much improv. So there's a, there is a trade-off. And now we're talking about if we were to do a second season, if we could do a second season. We wanted, since we established a visual already, now we know what to do. It might be less time between setups. Let's play around more, you know? So I yeah. think it's, especially with TV, it's always like a moving thing. Silicon Valley, same thing. Some directors will let you improv more. Some directors just want to shoot it and go home, you know? Yeah, do, what was... Uh this trailer for space force just came out. Mm -hmm. And so for people that haven't seen it, what is the premise? It's a, it's a, it's a three star, five star general, right? It mm -hmm. gets uh, over to. Yeah. It gets an assignment to run the new military branch, which is a real branch. Now the U S space force, it's the first new military branch, I think in like 60, 70 years. Uh, and it's very interesting because our timelines almost happening at the same time. Our show is about to come out. And when we shot it, they, of course, they announced the Space Force. They're getting their new recruits. And we finished shooting. And two months ago, they just, the real Space Force just had their new group of recruits. And there's always little news coming out. And I think two days ago, there was a press conference. It was live stream. So this is public knowledge. They were asking the real Space Force chief, this guy, uh, this general, who is a, a four-star general, John Raymond, I think. What did he think about the, our Space Force trailer? And, you know, he just jokingly, he was like, oh, uh, um, at first I thought Bruce Willis was going to play me. And, but you know what? I'll be okay with Steve Carell. Uh, so they are acknowledging it. And I mean, he's joking saying yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, they're acknowledging it in, 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 uh, in like they're taking it in a fun way. And I'm sure people want to see themselves portrayed on TV. So it's a very interesting show. We wrote it kind of with our imagination mixed with real news, but in a parallel universe. And it's uh, really just an office comedy. I don't want to say it's the office. It's not. It's shot very differently. It's shot very cinematically. But it's yeah. a workplace comedy that's very, very high stakes. That's fucking awesome. Well, now, how, how have you been with creativity over this pandemic? Have you been writing? Have you... Have, like, I've, I've been less than creative i would say although i've been more than productive if that makes Ooh, sense interesting so you spend more time but you're, you're hitting writer's block or something so i no writer's block i just i really stand up for me is done mostly on stage meaning right. i write a lot on stage so i can take and i think it's also um fight or flight like i will take the stuff that happened to me in the day and then bring it on stage that night and then through that i will find the stuff that i love I've written a bunch of great premises. I have a, um, where I just go, I just need to get them on stage. But for the most part, I started writing a script with me and Tom for me and Tom. that was like an idea we kicked around and I have like five projects that I'm working on. I'm like, I'm being very productive, but I don't feel like, like when this started, I was like, I'm going to get all my shit done. Mm -hmm. I've got time where this is where, when this comes out, I'll sell this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will, but maybe it's just not coming out the way I wanted 
if that makes sense. And I, and I feel like I'm, I'm doing, you know, I do two bears, one cave every week. I do Bill Burt every week. I do about four podcasts a week. I'm doubling down on releasing podcasts. That's awesome. But, but like, but like, uh, but I'm, I care a lot more about the podcast than I used to in person. I never gave a fuck. So I can, but on, on, on uh zoom i i know that i kind of need to be a little more researched it's not as easy as a conversation interesting interesting so like Um, with like with ben schwartz i ended up spending a whole night just deep diving ben and listen and watching almost everything he's ever done and then becoming obsessed with fucking jake and amir like i don't know why i'm all of a sudden obsessed with jake and amir it's a show that it's not even like they're not even doing anymore like (laughs) what the fuck Yeah, yeah yeah and so um you were easy. I mean, you were very easy just because I already did my deep dive on you when I heard that. I was just like, I got to find everything out about this guy. Oh, thanks, man. Um, but, but yeah, I've, I've, some, for some people, I think it's a little more work. And so, but yeah, yeah. How, how have you been with creativity? Um, the stand-up thing, I shot my special last December and it's coming out tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. But I was already not doing stand-up. Like I was already taking a break until I can just have an inkling of stuff that I want to talk about again instead of forcing myself back on stage. So that wasn't a problem. Uh, but I have a couple of scripts that I've like kind of fallen behind and a script that I owe that I have a deal on and a couple of ideas that I always meant to do. I never had the chance to do. So now I do find myself having some time to do, it, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and actually there's this writer's room that I joined, a virtual Zoom writer's room. Uh, it's two hours a day. And it's super productive and it feels like I have a real sense of work. And I'm sure the same way with your podcast. Oh, that's really you just- interesting. So you joined a writer's room in that and you guys all just kick around your, your own ideas. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's just five of us. And yeah, we just should, should run on ideas, talk about the season of the show uh, that may or may not come. And uh, we'll see what happens, you know, but it's, it's an interesting exercise and it makes me feel like I'm going to work every day, even if it's just going into my office and zooming, but it gives me a sense of purpose instead of the feeling of just meandering for two months. So that that's been extremely healthy and productive. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Are you and you're married? No, no girlfriend. No, I actually, this is maybe the worst decision ever. I broke up with a girl right before the pandemic. That's got to be the worst decision anyone could have ever made. Jesus, <laughs> either that or the greatest decision. Like That's I can't. Imagine, true. I can't imagine. I I'm see. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So like I look at everything as a positive, and so I can't imagine being with the insufferable women I've dated in my past and being with them 100. I keep saying to my wife, I am so lucky. I love you. Like I'm Aww. so lucky that. And I kept going, you're lucky that I love you. Like everyone's lucky that I love you. Cause I'm not like, they just had me, my daughters, and my wife just corralled me into a bedroom and I was crying and they were bullying. The three of them were bullying me in the funniest way they had. And I was crying, laughing. And I thought to myself in that moment, I'm so lucky that I'm enjoy these people because that- even That's like, an extremely sweet statement. I'm lucky that I love you. There's something, there's so much to that, I think, uh, of your, it, it sounds like a selfish statement. You're talking about yourself, but it's an oh, extremely. Oh, I'm very selfish. I'm, but it's ex- an extremely. I'm a narcissist, Jimmy. <laughs> no, but it's an extremely selfless and loving statement. Yeah. That 
I am lucky to kind of have somebody I love, and I love it's great. I, I love that. Should be a book. Think, Should be a name yeah. of your book. Ooh. Name of TV show. I'm lucky. I love you. I'm lucky. I love Because it you. really speaks so much. Like there is some narcissism, but it's not. It's really loving. Yeah, they I do can't put my thing. finger on it. Let me think about it. Yeah. Um. Nice. So so so, what's your prediction? When do you think this is going to end? Dude, it's tough, man. I think. Well, they're saying. The, the 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 drug is working the redis the mirror uh and then hopefully best case scenario there might be a vaccine in september my thing is with our jobs uh especially with stand-ups the stand-ups are road dogs that need to feed their family i feel the worst for them because stand-ups going to be the last thing that opens up like stand-up comedy clubs just like yes. live sporting events blah blah i hope people can be safe and go outside soon but it's going to be a while, dude. Maybe August. I mean, <laughs> total disclaimer. I'm not a scientist. I don't know shit I'm talking about. But I think hopefully August will be pretty good for people to start trickling outside. And maybe by like September, October, we can at least go back to shooting TV shows with very cautious measures and maybe less extras or something. But when it comes to live performances in a small room with 250 people, I don't know. Well, to be honest, I don't know if that was ever that was ever safe for the CDC to cram two hundred fifty people <laughs> in a small basement. So I don't. I don't know. Does uh, are you are you bummed that you can't tour to support the new special? It's fine. I actually didn't plan on touring to support it. Uh, if there was money to be made, I would do it. But uh, it's. There's so much of other stuff. Like I felt like I, I checked this off this hour special that I'm extremely proud of. It took me ten years to. Where did, really, where did you shoot it? I shot it at the Neptune in Seattle. Oh, what a great fucking theater! So fun, and I went there to scout with my director, and I made him put a thrust there. I decided on all the colors of what I'm going to wear with back. I love that whole process, um, and I edited every moment of it, and uh, almost drove myself crazy looking at myself for eight hours a day. But, Ooh, don't you know, get it, me started. It's a fuck. It fucks with your head. Like it really fucks with your head. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. But you know what? I think I'm very proud of it and uh, something hopefully people will enjoy. And it's called Good we'll, Deal. We'll yeah, it's called Good Deal. It's on, on Amazon Prime. Starting May 8th tomorrow. May 8th tomorrow, man. Is this coming out today? This uh, We can put this out whenever you want it to come out. Well, I, I won't put it out today. I'll make sure that I'll do it next week so people can gar- grab the special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited about it. But you know, that's one thing that I always wanted to do, and I did it. I'm no rush into doing another one, uh, and that's speaking from a very first world privileged position because my money doesn't depend on stand up alone. So yeah. I could be like, I want to get into more writing. That's why I joined this writers' room, and I'm excited to learn about uh, writing from these great guys. And then I'm also. Um, uh, writing my own scripts and stuff, and I start wanting to do some of my own content. Like, I'm very satisfied with doing Space Force. Hopefully, we have more seasons to come. We don't know. And uh, if I can just do that, that'll pay my bills, uh, and I'll be very creatively satisfied. And whatever off time I have, I'll spend writing. And when I feel like it, I'll go back to doing stand up. It's beautiful that, that, you know, there used to be such lines drawn in the sand. And I think because there weren't opportunities for everyone in every capacity the way there is with the internet but when i started they're like oh you just want to be an actor or oh you just want to be a writer 
or oh, you just want to do the road. I'm mm-hmm. a New York comic. I, I live in New York. Right, so right, right. New York. Now it's gotten so it's so nice to see it kind of open up and people go, no, no, yes. I love stand up, but like I really love this TV show I'm working on, and and yeah. I, I wouldn't mind writing. I wouldn't mind going into like you look at someone like Steve Byrne, and you go, wow, I've he's an amazingly accomplished stand up. I think more specials, definitely more specials than I have. Um, he's got he's a, a, a sitcom, sold a sitcom, mm-hmm. go run a sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, made a movie, directed a movie, shot a movie, acts. I mean, he does he does everything. It's it's really nice that this, and I think it's because of the internet allowed a lot of people more opportunities to mm-hmm. go. Well, I'm cool with this, you know, like yeah. And, and, and nobody better uh, to do everything than a stand-up because we appreciate the opportunity. We, we knew how it was when we we're doing open mics and we could barely put together our rent. So now when anyone is throwing us money, we're like, oh, uh, Discovery Channel, you want me to do this show? Yeah, sure. Uh, you want me to sell this ice cream for you? Sure, I'll take it. Because you look back at those days when you're making no money and you – you appreciate the hustle, man, you know? And that's why I also think, you know, you're talking about Bill, like, acting, you acting, me acting. Every moment I think we step on set, we couldn't even believe people are giving us money to do this. And compared to, like, stand-up, this is a dream. So I think we always show up on time and work hard, you know? I, I've, I said that to someone the other day. I said, uh, God, I forget, uh, Anthony Anderson. Mm-hmm. Anthony Anderson came on set for our now my Netflix or my Netflix show and he murdered it. I mean, he murdered it from the second he started until the wow. he was available. He was there. He didn't leave. He didn't ask what time they were getting out. He just was there and he killed it. He had energy. He was interested. He was engaged. He knew when they said, Hey, can you do that again? Did it again? Did it even like, and I said to him, I was like, man, I'm, I'm like really impressed. And I came from the school of like, and I had, I've had a seen a lot of this of like celebrities come in, they're asked to do a job and they're like, the fact that I'm here should be enough for you. Like, I got to get out of here soon. And I was like, yeah. and I said to Anthony, I was like, dude, I, I really got to thank you. You really made this episode super mm-hmm. special. And he was like, that was my intention. I wanted to come in and I wanted to deliver. And you yeah. were like, I remember I was just like, oh, that's right. You hire me something. I come in and I deliver. I show up ready, sober, fucking mm-hmm sweated it out in the morning i'm ready like fucking yeah yeah I think, what, I think people assume a stand-up would show up half hungover fucking smoking a cigarette like what fuck do i have time to take a shit you know like yeah go up and, and kill it yeah and i think that's uh, stand-ups are some of the most talented people i've ever met but there's so many people also on the flip side of that is extremely talented 10 times funnier than i am i think but never made it because they couldn't get their shit together. So a lot of times it's not for the lack of talent. And when you do find a standard that's professional, usually, you know, they make it to your level, to Steve's level and Tom's level and everyone. Well, brother, I am so excited for your success. I am so, it's so much fun to watch. You really are like, you brought a huge smile to my face when you, sh- when you showed up on screen in Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, man. And whatever, for whatever that means, I, I just want, I want you to know that it's like, I, I love seeing you blow up. So when Steve's movies is sold and you guys have distribution and you know where you're going to be open invite, I'll make sure it happens. I'll organize you guys to come over to the new studio. We'll do yeah. a live podcast. Maybe we'll have some cocktails or just bullshit and yeah. help promote it. But please know I am a fan of yours. If you ever have anything to promote, there's an open door policy. Oh, 
even if you're like, hey, man, I don't have time to do the podcast, but I would love for you to mention it in the open. Always here for you, man. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. I got to screen cap this moment for my buddies. Every one of my friends, myself included. Here, here, give us one point. Yes. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, we're all big fans of yours, man. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, stay safe. Continue success. I'll talk to you later, man. All right, brother. Have a good one. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.